Hi, I'm Julie. And I'm Lisa. And together we are Two Sober Chicks. Welcome back. Happy Friday. Yes. Fry-yay. 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 <laughs> I've never heard that one before. You haven't? No. Oh. Maybe it's a... It's a thing. Is it a text thing? Like, like a hashtag? An emoji or something? Yeah. 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 Hashtag fry-yay. Yes. I haven't looked at our Instagram lately. How's that going? Pretty good. Yeah? yeah. Anything new on there that I should go no, check out? No, I... Uh, Put, I reposted something to our page from my sponsor okay. who has a recovery jewelry right. company and she's going to be at the ORC which is the Ontario Regional Conference mm-hmm. of Alcoholics Anonymous here in Toronto in March. March 20th I think it is. To the 22nd. Yeah. Yep. Who doesn't love recovery jewelry? And so I reposted that. Her uh, company's called Healing Moments. Nice. She'll, she might be at the World Conference too. I'm not sure. She does all of the conferences. Does she sell those book covers? She sells book covers, bookmarks, cards, t-shirts, but if you, her if, best sellers are the jewelry. If you've never seen the book covers, you can fit your um, 12 and 12 in your big book, a mm-hmm. hard copy big book in a cover. And in the front, it has the serenity prayer yep. and a little a little um, sort of picture window for your medallion of whatever you're at, whatever choice yeah. you want to display. So And it's like leather mm-hmm. and it's got bookmarks and it's snapshot. You and I both have one. Yep. Mine is white. Mine's purple. Yeah. Which was almost orange because I like both. Those are my two favorite colors, purple and orange. They go well together. Yeah. So I got a purple one. Yeah. It's very nice. I love it. Um, okay, so that's cool. And you brought over our brand new business cards. We are official bitches. It's so exciting. They are exciting. And we're going to litter this city and everywhere we go with them. Yep. I'm still trying to get us on Sobercast. That, that's uh, coming, or Sober I think. Nation. Sober, Sober Nation. Nation. Still trying to. I don't know if they're on vacation or what, but trying to get us uploaded there. Yeah. Um, but um, we made it to Sp- Spotify. Yeah, we're on pretty much every platform where you listen to podcasts. Yeah. So hopefully uh, that's where you're finding us today on a platform of your choosing. You can always uh, download us from our original site, which is Mm soundcloud.com. Look for the number two sober chicks. And thanks a lot for tuning in once again. So today we've decided that by request. Yes. Who requested this? I think it was Amanda, Mm -hmm. but I'm not entirely sure. Okay. And we have been requested to tell our stories. Could have been Jamie too, right? Wasn't there one of your sister oh, wives? Oh, my sister wife, <laughs> Jamie. That's exactly who it was. Yes. All right. So, so we're going to do this like we do a meeting kind of thing? Yeah. So oh. I'll tell my story. You tell your story in another podcast. Okay. And that way it's, you know, typical format, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. All right. So this is actually kind of good if you've um, been asked to speak and you've never spoken before mm. and you're not exactly sure what to do. Yeah. Um, what we do caution people is not to get up there and just tell a bunch of stories about the times you were drunk. Drunk-a-logs. I mean, yeah, drunk-a-logs. Now, I've heard someone say, well, I want to know that you drank like I drank and you yep. had a problem. So you That's can fair. do that with a story or two yeah you know um but don't make that your whole presentation because we want to talk about the the three things that we always mention are experience strength and hope so the experience is the platform where you're basically letting people know yeah i drank like you drank i'm an alcoholic um it worked for a little while and then it didn't yeah it's the what it was like part yes the experience and then the strength part what happened how would you describe the strength i guess is the strength being, to go into recovery. Yeah, being like, 
willing to make the change, right? Yeah, which to explore. it's funny because the strength part comes at the weakest point, right? Like you have to hit your bottom in order to make the decision. And that's a, it's not a weak move. It's a powerful move. So yeah. that's why the what happened is the strength portion of your talk. That um, duality of um, becoming dependent upon something greater actually gives you the greatest independence. Mm, so good. And then the hope part is sharing with people that, yeah, hey, I was like that and that's what happened and that's how low my life got. But then I did these things and I followed these steps and suggestions and I turned my life around and now look at how great it is today. And we also clarify that great meaning, uh, it doesn't mean that you get all your wishes, your wishes don't come mm -hmm. through. Um, some people are still homeless or unemployed mm -hmm. uh, when they're in recovery. Um, they still end up getting divorced. They still end up losing the house or yep. going through bankruptcy. But it is this ability to be able to cope with all of those things sober. And to have hope that it's going to get better. Yes. And what life is like now in spite of all of those things, being sober. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a pretty cool format. Mm -hmm. And our book does say in a general way. Like it never really says tell your story. It says tell us in a general way what hap what it was like, what happened, mm -hmm. and what life is like now. Yeah. Um, I don't mind getting specific. And the beauty of our program is it's so diverse. Some people spend 95% of their talk talking about what it was like. Mm -hmm. And some people, I try to focus on what life is like now. Because for me, it was just as important to identify as it was to say to see what does recovery look like. Mm -hmm. What as a woman can I look forward to? I'm uh, I'm verbose, <laughs> and I tend to get off topic a lot. So when I talk, it depends on the time. I've noticed that if I go to a meeting and I have some meetings give you more time to talk, if I have forty five minutes, then it's a good, nice, even mix of experience, strength, and hope. Mm -hmm. But if I have fifteen or twenty then I sometimes look up and go, oh shit, I have five minutes left and I'm supposed to talk about hope now. So yeah, it can, I think we've all done that. Yeah. For me, 45 minutes is way too long to listen to a speaker. I like 25 minutes-ish. That's like a good wheelhouse mm -hmm. for me. All right. But some of the best talks I've ever heard are were done in five minutes at Amazing. the end of the medallion. Yeah. Yeah. Good hope shots. Yeah. All right. All right. So this is Julie's story. Welcome to my story. So I, at this moment, in January of 2020, am 42? Am I 42? <laughs> I I'm 41. I was born in 1977. Does that okay. mean I'm 41? I have no idea. I'm Case. terrible with math. So you don't know how old you are? No. <laughs> I'm either 41 or 42. You're coming up on 42, I think. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, January 2020, I'm 41. I've been sober for about six and a half years continuously, mm -hmm. but I've been in recovery for almost nine. Uh, my sober date, I can't tell you. I think it's October 22nd, Yeah. whatever six and a half years ago was. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it is. You're October 22nd and Sarah's October 18th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't like, I feel like as I'm getting more into recovery, I talk less about my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um. My, I believe I was born an alcoholic, and what I mean by that is I wasn't drinking at the age of one, but I was always maladapted to life. Yeah. I was always fearful. I never felt protected. I had this weird sense that someone was always watching me and I had to be perfect. Um, I was raised by a, a mom who I now know has mental health issues, so she suffered with a lot of anxiety and depression, and my dad suffered from rage issues, so he was a rageaholic, and he would like have terrifying violent outbursts not violent with us but just violent with stuff 
It scared the shit out of me. So I just remember always feeling unprotected and scared. And I went through my life like that. My parents drank really heavily. They loved to party. I don't remember witnessing anything inappropriate. I just knew I was very comfortable, uncomfortable around adults that drank. I didn't like it. So I had very early impressions of booze equals bad, booze equals unsafe, booze equals inappropriate, booze equals unpredictable. Mm. So I didn't end up drinking, but for a couple of experiences, one in grade eight where um, at a friend's house over lunch they were drinking vodka and Sprite and they wanted me to do it and I was like terrified of it so I took literally a capful and it was like the worst thing I'd ever tasted in my life like I it was I never wanted to taste it again and then on my 19th birthday I got wasted like most people do like here in Ontario drinking ages 19 so I went to a club and they had um you know when they have like the little they're like in science class, the little shooter tubes. I don't yeah. know what you call them. Yeah, like beakers. Yeah, and the waitresses would walk around with like these test tubes. I, test tubes, that's it. I remember those too. I used to love those. <laughs> and I did a whole bunch of those. I went to work the next day because um, I left home pretty early in my life and was like barfing underneath my desk. I was an administrative assistant right. at a steel fabricating company. I was throwing up under my desk and I was like, I'll never do that again. And I didn't. Because, again, booze equaled bad, equaled bad in, in my eyes. Mm. And then I met the man I would marry at 25. And he was the CFO of a very uh, prominent brokerage firm here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And he drank a lot. And working in that firm, I saw what, like, the elite, successful finance people did. And it was lots of drugs, lots of strippers, lots of booze. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to drink with him. And Before I was always the 2008 like, crash where they, yeah. <laughs> they suddenly didn't have any money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he wanted you to drink with him. Sorry. He wanted me to drink with him. That just reminded me of how in that crash we lost everything. But mm. that's another story for another day. And I didn't like it. But I, I started to, he's like, I found a drink I liked. And it was those Smirnoff ice. Oh, I can taste it now. That tastes so good. It's that weird, cloudy, white, gray just so good like right now literally my taste buds are exploding because I know what it tastes like and I loved those Mm -hmm. but I never really got drunk I got buzzed and I felt good but at that point alcohol wasn't speaking my language I drank like a normal person and I think that's a misconception too Mm -hmm. that if you're an alcoholic you immediately start drinking like an alcoholic it talks about in our book that we there is this window where if we step away from alcohol we don't have to come into the program because we never really enter active addiction um it's also called the imaginary line i hadn't crossed it yet mm-hmm. but i remember the the day it was almost like the i unlocked my alcoholism and it was at um our cottage up north and it was a bottle of Barolo, so like this beautiful, big Italian red. And I had a couple of glasses, and all of a sudden, what came over me was like, oh, like for the first time in my life, I exhaled. Mm. And all of my anxiety went away, and I didn't feel less than in circles with people that had more money or were older or were smarter, and my anxiety went away. And I remember distinctly thinking, oh, I and that's when it unlocked. So within two years of me drinking, by 27, I was full-blown alcoholic, sneaking down the stairs, 
guzzling from the freezer while my husband was asleep because I at all costs wanted to maintain that space of like I'm okay life is good because I was so tired of living in anxiety and fear and dread and whatever so um that's when I think I crossed that invisible line although it's called invisible for a reason I don't really know and um my husband started traveling a lot for his work so I was alone a lot and it became my best friend and I became gradually more and more isolated and more and more in need of what alcohol did for me so I learned how to live 24 hours a day with um not 24 hours a day I learned how what it was like to live with hangovers from when I woke up till around four or five o'clock and then that would be the hours where I could take my medicine and like come back down to myself and feel okay again. And I got caught in that groundhog cycle of like every morning. I sincerely meant I, I did not was not going to drink that day. I, you would have hooked me up to a lie detector test the mornings I woke up with a hangover after two hours of trying to get out of bed. And I said, I will not drink today or I will never drink again. I would have passed because mm-hmm. I meant it because that's what I wanted. And then four or five o'clock would come and the beast would start to wake up and I know I have to feed it. And that went on for years and it progressively got worse. I started driving drunk every night. I started watching things I shouldn't watch, texting people I shouldn't text, doing things I shouldn't do. Um, And the darker my life became, the more inside myself and fearful and paranoid and sad and depressed and lonely I became. I was like caught in that wheelhouse because I was a closet drinker. Nobody knew. Mm. To this day, my family just doesn't believe that I'm an alcoholic because no one saw it because I was like an Oscar award-winning actress, Mm -hmm. which is easy to do when your husband is gone half half of the time. Mm -hmm. So um, I remember about six months before I got sober, waking up again with another vicious hangover and feeling like I wasn't even living. I was just existing. And like in my bed with my eyes closed, lying on my side, I reached up to the ceiling and I said, please help me. And then I think in about six months, I was walking by a mirror in my front hallway and it was like this moment of grace, like this moment of clarity. And I've heard people in the program say, these moments are so rare and so important to catch. It's like threading the needle of a sewing machine as it's going. Like you have got to catch that perfect moment of grace because you don't know when it's going to come again. And that's why a lot of us will say you don't have to relapse because you might not come back. Like take that moment. And I walked by this mirror in the front hallway and I caught my reflection, but I didn't know what I had seen. It was like foreign to me. So I backed up and went eye to eye with myself in the mirror. And what I saw was basically a corpse, like just a dead person walking around. And it scared me. And a voice in my head whether it was my higher self or god I don't know said it's not supposed to be like this and I remember at that moment thinking I can't do this for the rest of my life and so I sat with that for a bit eventually ended up going to treatment to see if I could enter treatment and um I could but they didn't have space for like three months or something Mm -hmm. and I was like fuck I don't know if I'm gonna be alive so they told me to go to AA in the meantime, which was the most insulting thing I'd ever heard in my entire life because I'm not like those people, right? I'm right. not an old man in a trench coat homeless with a brown paper bag. Like, fuck you. Yeah. That's what an alcoholic is. Um, I remembered a, a, not long before that seeing a panel of women on Oprah that were called something that was high-functioning alcoholics and they were beautiful women with like executive jobs and they were talking about their drinking like I drank 
And I remember thinking, oh my God, that's what I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of filed that away in the back of my head. So when someone said to go to AA, I did not think of those high functioning alcoholics. Right. And I didn't, I didn't go. And two days later, when I was tired of the Groundhog Day experience again, I finally was like, I'll do anything. Like I'll get my ass to a meeting. And I went. And I was um, humiliated and ashamed and a wreck. And a beautiful woman who I just went to her 25-year medallion the other day was standing at the door and she was like bright and shiny and had red curly hair. She looked like Susan Sarandon. And she saw me and she was so excited and I wanted to leave because someone saw me and I was just thinking I could sneak in the back and like hang out and then leave. But she had me and it was like (laughs) I I didn't have the balls to turn around and leave after she saw me. So she brought me in and took me under her wing and told me to get a desire chip which I did much to my horror because people were clapping and touching me and talking to me and I was like these psychos this is the worst they're like masochistic they're sades like this is the worst day of my life and they're celebrating it they're <laughs> celebrating like the worst moment of my life and I'm snotting and crying and looking at the floor and shaking like I have never seen anyone pick up a desire chip messier than me. I've said this on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. And then I went back for a closed meeting because, oh, this was a closed meeting. We went into separate groups and men, it was men I first identified with, started reading this book, which was the AA Big Book. Mm -hmm. And we read it and then people shared. And when these men were sharing and they were old, we were in a treatment center, old, young, fat, skinny, gay straight rich poor they were talking about me I couldn't believe it I identified right out of the gates thank god because that's what I needed so then I started going to meetings and I was told to get a home group so I shopped around and then I found a home group that I liked and the women in there took me in and slowly but surely um, I ended up getting a sponsor and I ended up working the steps and I started to really transform and change. Like I started to feel okay with myself. I started to feel loved and accepted by people. Um, I loved this tribe immediately. And as I started doing all of the steps, and this is like a very condensed version, um, I started to connect to a higher power higher than myself. And I started to see how the principles changed my life, like doing a fourth inventory and writing down every horrid thing I'd ever done every person I wanted to beat the shit out of I examined in my sex inventory all of the relationships I had been on in not even just from a sexual standpoint but like I started to see how it was more important for me to be with a man that abused me than to be single like that's where my value was Mm -hmm. that I couldn't tell a man whether it was physically mentally or emotionally things that hurt me or I didn't like um that I abandoned myself to be with men uh, that m- patterns of childhood manifested themselves in my alcoholism. Um, and then seeing up on black and white my character defects, what I needed to do to change to attain a better life for myself. And I got separated in the midst of all of this after two years sober, ended up dating right away and relapsed, which for me was good because it silenced all the voices in my head that kept saying, you're not an alcoholic. Like, you managed pretty well. You were high-functioning. Surely after two and a half years of not drinking, you're fixed. You're better. And so I saw very quickly, within three weeks, I was back in the program. And then I started getting sponsees. And I started to be in more service. And so what life is like today for me is I 
live a rock star life according to my own standards. I don't wake up with hangovers. The possibilities in my life of where I want to go and what I do are are unlimited because I'm not in the grips of my alcoholism anymore. I'm recovered, not cured. Recovering meaning I'm recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body, which means there's no limiters on my life anymore. And so I've gone back to school. I'm training to be a minister. I'm in seminary to become a pastor. We have this podcast. I write poetry. I serve in prisons. I travel and go where I want to go. Um, now with, like, I can see the world and do things I want to do because it's not about getting from A to B and getting wasted at B and then being alone and isolated in a hotel room and not being able to socialize. Like wherever I go, there's AA meetings and I go there. And they're my ticket to a new city. What areas are safe? What aren't? What restaurants should I go to? Is there something I should see in town? We take road trips to Dr. Bob's house. I go to the conferences. I'm going to the World Conference in Detroit. I've learned how to be content and single. I've learned how to have a healthy romantic relationship. Um, My connection with my higher power has allowed me to be a tool of healing and service to other people like I found myself once I surrendered myself to my higher power and I found what my true calling in life is which is I actually love people like I used to be one of those people that's like I don't like people but I love animals I fucking love people I have a heart for people I want to be around them I've, I've asked for God to give me eyes and a heart for people so that I don't see differences. I just see that I love you and you're a child of God and I want to be with you. And all of that took place. Like I was thinking the other day, AA softened all my hard edges. I no longer walk into a situation and look at how I'm different or that's irritating me or I'm offended by that or like it's just softened me. And any brilliant thing that comes out of my mouth, I can't take credit for because AA taught me. I just am grateful that I remembered what I was taught and I get to like spit it out. Mm -hmm. So if someone had told me nine years ago that a depressed, isolated, lonely, out of control, alcoholic housewife could go from that, which was completely financially secure, which was married to a very successful, handsome, charismatic man. Um, And I had this beautiful stepdaughter and a dog. And like I had everything I had ever wanted in my life. Everything. And And yet I was the most miserable, the most broken, and the most closest to death I had ever been. And if you would have told me that she, you would have showed me that at 40 whatever I am (laughs) 41 I would be doing all the things I just told you I would have laughed in your face and told you you're insane Mm -hmm. so I often say if you're new in recovery or if you're not new in recovery and you're thinking you can't do it um it's because you haven't met your recovered self yet like everything you need as an addict outside of other mental health issues which I suffer with anxiety Um, outside of that and needing medication which is totally fine or outside of you need church you're a christian you're a buddhist you're a muslim if as an alcoholic or an addict you need help and need to transform your life everything you need to know is in our program and our program is in the book and in the book is the steps and all you have to do is do that just get a guide which is called a sponsor and do it 
and your life can be transformed. And we know it because we see it all the time. We've seen the most helpless fuckers where you're like, oh, I don't know if it's going to be good for them, transform. And some of them are our closest sisters. Yeah. <laughs> where we're like, holy shit. And they just shine. They just shine. Yes, Sarah, we're talking about you. <laughs> yes, Sarah, we're talking about you. I was like, I don't know about that one. <laughs> None of us wanted to sponsor her. She was like a wreck. I just, I, she's a completely different person. It's like she unzipped her old self and Peeled then off. the exact same looking person came out from inside and you're like, you're amazing. Yeah. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's amazing. You know, as you talk, one of the things that um, that really resonated with me that I love is you talk about being this woman who lived in isolation mm-hmm. and completely 100% your whole identity depended upon your husband. Yes. And, or any man that you had to have a partner. Mm-hmm. And so you put up with atrocities and abuses and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just bad treatment. And not I'm not judging your ex, but you yeah. talk about these things in your, mm-hmm. in your story. And then I know you as the person you are today who takes these road trips by herself mm-hmm. down to the United States. You know, she's gone for sometimes, what were you gone, a month, two months this summer? I a think month? it was three and a half weeks, yeah. Yeah. So all by herself, road tripping, staying in different uh, Airbnbs and bed and breakfasts and hotels. And, you know, you're not living in isolation, though. You're going out to restaurants. Mm-hmm. You're, you're having fine dining. Um, <laughs> you're, you're going to meetings. You're sightseeing. You're going on tours. And you don't need anybody else to do that. Mm-hmm. But you can enjoy the company of other people. But you don't, you're not reliant upon them for your identity anymore. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And that, to me, was the complete transformation. You know? Yeah. It's beautiful. And uh, that's why we tell our stories at meetings. To give that hope for you, the newcomer who comes in, just like we did, broken and fearful and hopeless. You know? And hopefully by hearing these stories, this is where the grace can happen to give you that, that moment, that crack in the door where you see the light coming through and think, maybe that's attainable for me too. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, I have a cold. <clears throat> I've been trying not to cough through your whole story. So, <clears throat> um, fantastic. Thank you so much for You're sharing welcome. that. I mean, I would be fine if you told the whole story and we talked for an hour but we could break it up into a series but yeah. we tell our stories often throughout this yeah if you listen to us you get little bits and pieces of our story mm-hmm. and I've never told my story like that ever that's yeah. just what came out so I just trust that's what it was supposed to be yeah so when you go to larger meetings like bigger cities LA or conferences you're going to hear what they call circuit speakers And usually those circuit speakers have written down their story and it's Mm -hmm. polished. Mm -hmm. And then if you hear them at another conference, you're going to hear the exact same story. It's like a rehearsed speech. But what we were taught by our sponsors in AA, it's about, it's sharing from the heart. Where you're at. Where you're at Mm -hmm. today and what you remember today. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I think it gets, it's more honest and more real um, when you, if you don't write things down. I agree. For me. Um, because when I first came in, I wanted to write something down and my sponsor said, no, don't do that because then it's about a performance. Yeah. You're you're trying to impress people. And you're managing it. Yeah. And that's not what this program is about. God can't work with that. No, this is an ego less program. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you need to get let go of that ego and just be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because mm-hmm. standing up at the podium is uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you are being very vulnerable and sharing your, your honest-to-God truth to a room full of sometimes strangers, sometimes people that you know. Um, and it's okay with the pauses and, and the, the tears and the tears and oh I forgot what I was gonna say oh well let's just carry on here and nobody cares no they they don't judge you they just they're just excited to hear what's next yeah and so, there is gonna be someone in the room that's gonna be like Ugh, I could do a better job or oh that's not true that's but the them. most of us are just like so touched when someone gets raw and says things like I don't know what I'm gonna say or I'm really scared up here I'm like oh mm. love you yeah or I'm having, a, oftentimes what I really love is when at the end of the, someone's story, they say, I've just gone through the most horrific time in sobriety and someone asked me to speak and I didn't want to, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad it's I did. The best talks. Yeah. So it's great. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for sharing. So You're that's welcome. Julie's story and an example of how you can, you know, go through it, experience strength and hope, what it was like, um, what happened and what it's like today when you get asked to share at your next meeting. Yeah. And Lisa will share her story maybe in the next podcast, maybe maybe the one after that. Just keep listening. We'll see. To Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa. I'm Julie. Thanks a lot for joining us. And if you want to drop us an email, if you have a question or a comment about the show, then please do so at twosoberchicks at gmail.com, twosoberchicks on Instagram and on Twitter. Have a great 24. Bye.